Welcome to Cohen & Company's Chief Insights Podcast, a thought leadership series designed for C-level executives, board members, and other top decision makers. Hello, I'm Brett Eichenberger, a partner in Investment Industry Services Division and the partner in charge of our ETF practice at Cohen & Company. Welcome to this episode of Chief Insights. Today, we're going to talk about the recent approval of the Presidian Active Shares Structure. Specifically, will this product work for any of your current fund strategies, and what are the benefits and shortfalls related to this structure compared to an open-end mutual fund or an actively managed, fully transparent ETF? Today, I'm joined by Jeff Hanline, who is one of my partners in the Investment Industry Services Division out of our Milwaukee office and spends a significant amount of time working with a large portion of our ETF clients. Hey, Brett. How you doing? And uh, hello to all of our listeners out there. Certainly an interesting time for the evolving ETF industry. Um, I think in in setting the table for the discussion today, I'd I'd like to share some brief stats on the ETF industry as a whole. As of the end of of April, the ICI uh, noted over 2,000 plus ETFs listed in the U.S. with up to almost approximately $4 trillion in assets. So Um, While the vast majority of these assets are in um, index-based ETFs, there's certainly a significant opportunity for the active uh, ETFs to take off here. So, Brett, with that in mind, would you share some of the history around actively managed ETFs with our guests? Sure, Jeff. You know, the thing about actively managed ETFs in the the context of of these types of products is, is historically, if you wanted to have an ETF, it had to be in a fully transparent strategy. So the marketplace for years has been working with the SEC to develop some type of product that would not be fully transparent, meaning that you wouldn't have to show your portfolio on a daily basis. And this is something that the industry has really been wanting to get into as active managers have kind of stayed out of this growing space for the last 10 plus years because they're afraid of a number of issues affecting uh, the product. So Today, I think we want to talk about you know a number of things related to the Presidian Active Share structure. One of those being, how does this differ from what we've typically seen with ETF products? How will this product work? What are the limitations on this product? And what are some of the future uses of this product in the marketplace that we see going forward? So with that, let, let's let's talk about a little bit of the brief background on you know the differences between a mutual fund and an ETF. Sure. So, so mutual funds, open-end funds have been around since the 1920s. Passive mutual funds, I think, came around in, in, in the 1970s. We first saw those. And then the first passive ETF was the Spider in the early 1990s. So still a relatively short life with respect to the, to the overall uh, open-end fund industry. Um, you know, we didn't see the first active ETF until 2008. You know, with respect to how mutual funds and ETFs differ... You know, mutual funds, since they do trade secondarily on an exchange, operate under an exemptive relief from the 40 Act. Um, currently, there is an ETF rule that's proposed out there that would allow for ETFs to have their own governing documents under similar to the 1940 Act for mutual funds. Um, there's also the concept of authorized participants within the ETF space that is a little bit different with the way that um, investors transact with the funds on the secondary market instead of directly with the mutual funds. So, so there's a big difference there. The other difference would be that you know mutual funds, you price once a day, you buy the mutual fund once a day. At 4 right. o'clock, that's when you can buy into the mutual fund, sell out of the mutual fund. What we've been hearing from advisors for a number of years is why they're starting to use ETF products is that you can buy in and out of the ETF throughout the day. So, you know, it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Your client wants to get out of 
the S&P 500, you can just hit a button and you're out of that ETF. Whereas if you were in an S&P 500 mutual fund, you have to wait till 4 o'clock and you get the NAV at 4 o'clock. So from a trading perspective, this is the way the advisors want to go where they're using these products and being able to buy and sell them throughout the day. So certainly a, a different cost structure in an ETF offering versus a mutual fund. Um, you know, you have the less transfer agency fees, no 12B1 fees, the likes. You know, you talked a little bit earlier about some of the fears that active managers have in the ETF space. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? You know, we've had active managers stay away from ETFs because they say, my, my strategy doesn't fit within a passive index strategy, so I can't launch an ETF. Or I've had them say, you know, I have an active management strategy and I don't want to disclose my portfolio holdings on a daily basis. I'm afraid that my trades are going to get out there and they're going to be front run by the market and therefore it's going to infect my investment base because my secret sauce is going to be out there and they're just going to copycat my portfolio. So I, I can't launch a, a fully transparent ETF. So that this this new structure that was recently approved by the SEC really does change the landscape for active managers to really start thinking, should I get into the ETF space? Now, you're still going to have your portfolio holding disclosures on a quarterly basis and a semi-annual basis and an annual basis, but those are on such a lag that it would be very difficult for another individual or company to try to mimic your investment strategy. And so this does kind of create that barrier. So Jeff, let's talk a little bit about how these active shares will work and some of the specifics of them. Sure. We we talked a little bit about some of the exemptive reliefs for ETFs to operate under the 40 Act. You know, ultimately these active shares will look and feel like a regular ETF. I think a lot of the same exemptive relief will apply here. Um, there's a couple differences, but you know, the overall ultimate goal of these is to really bring active managers up to date with the index funds. So, um, you know, some of the benefits that ETFs have that now these non-transparent active um, ETFs will be able to offer is the tax efficiency that that everyone's aware of with ETFs, the the elimination or minimization of capital gains within within the offering. Um, As we talked about earlier, no 12B1 fees or no transfer agency fees, so other cost savings. And then the in-kind creation redemption process that, that exists within an ETF will, you know, limit the cash drag that's on the performance. So like I said, similar, very similar to, to how a, a normal ETF works. You know, the main differences we have here, as you talked about earlier, was really the, the lack of the portfolio transparency on a, on a regular basis outside of the quarterly required SEC filings. There's also uh, the relationship between the authorized participants and the custodians um, is a little bit different. This, these active shares introduce the concept of, of an AP authorized participant representative who now, instead of the authorized participant having the basket on a daily basis, the AP representative will actually have that portfolio and will act as the AP agent for the actual authorized participants. And they'll be the ones transacting um, in kind with the fund, you know, out of the AP's accounts. So that's a new concept that's introduced for this to be able to work. The only people that would have access then to the portfolio would be your investment advisor, your authorized participant representative, as well as the custodian. The other big idea here with the active shares is the introduction of the 
verified intraday indicative value, which we'll refer to as the VIIV. You know, with traditional ETFs, the indicative value is provided on a, a 15 second basis every day. So this introduces a VIIV, which would be on a on an every second value instead of every 15 seconds. So it's really a, a prorated slice of the fund that's valued every second based on on the midpoint and verified and then distributed to the APs of the market makers so they can decide you know how they want to create and redeem within the funds on a on a regular basis so you know there are there are some limitations on on the product i know brett you and i have talked about those i don't know if you want to go into those in a little bit of detail here so yes some of the limitations on this product right now that they finally got approved by the sec is in order for them to get this through the SEC's approval process, one of the things that they probably had to pull back on was the number of types of securities that could be in these portfolios. So we are limited from the standpoint that you can invest in common stocks that are traded on a U.S. exchange, ADRs, REITs, commodity pools, metals trusts, currency trusts, futures, and preferred stocks, but you can't engage in any fixed income securities other types of derivatives, whether that be swaps or options. And you can't also trade any international securities. So we talk about global equities would not be part of this portfolio, although you would be able to trade ADRs that are traded on the U.S. exchange. So that is a limitation within this product. What I see probably happening in the future is that we're going to test out this these very liquid type securities to see if it works within this product. And I could see it in transitioning over time into international securities and fixed income securities as well. In addition, all the positions must have a readily available market price at the time of purchase. However, if that position does become illiquid or becomes fair valued, that position would then be required to be disclosed publicly. So if a security was halted for reasons or if it went illiquid for a number of reasons, if something happened with that company, it was no longer to be valued as a basically a level one security, you wouldn't have to disclose that publicly because that would be outside of the you know, fully undisclosed portfolio. On the tax side, you can still use, as you mentioned, Jeff, the in-kind process. The AP representative will be facilitating the in-kind creation and redemption process. One of the things that is a slight drawback is that all creations and redemptions will be based on a pro rata slice of the active shares portfolio holdings. You know, this does impact ETFs because some of the early exemptive reliefs from ETFs have custom basket creations, which then you can take some of your lowest cost basis securities and transact those out of the portfolio in kind. This would be on a pro rata slice basis of the portfolio. This does kind of impact as well because with the new ETF proposed rule out there, um, there will be more opportunities for custom creation and redemptions for ETFs. Which is really one of the one of the big reasons why ETFs can be so tax efficient, while certainly not something that's new to the industry, um, something that has been in the news quite a bit lately is is the concept of of the heartbeats, which you know the custom create redeem um, for tax efficiency purposes. So, Brett, there's also some board responsibilities here that I think we'd be remiss to not discuss today. Um, one of the concepts that I talked about earlier were the, the VIIV. So the board will be required to adopt initial procedures over the VIIV as well as any ongoing approval of changes that would happen uh, to the VIIV procedures. 
you know, in addition, the active shares will have to set certain thresholds, the trading thresholds for the premiums and discounts. And to the extent that those premium and discount thresholds do go above those certain limitations, the board would need to, to meet to discuss any remedial actions and, and the actual continuing viability of the, if the ETFs are not functioning as anticipated uh, within those thresholds. Um, the last thing that, that the board would really need to do is um, adopt procedures to, to monitor the purchases in any affiliated underwritings, and in addition to the procedures, as we mentioned earlier, review any actual purchases throughout the year, you know, at least on an annual basis. Yes, and clearly the SEC will be monitoring this product closely. We'll be requesting certain information from the issuer that engages in these actively managed ETFs, and we'll have to provide additional information on the basis of this is the information we'll be looking for, and that will really be open, and time will tell what those types of requests will be. So the final thing we want to discuss is really how are you going to get an actively managed fund launched with this type of structure? So one of the things you will have to do is contact Presidian to license this product. This product is, you know, under intellectual property, and each individual issuer can license this product from active shares. And what I recently learned from them is that there will be no minimum fee for licensing this product. It will be a basis point fee on your assets under management of the fund you launch. So it's under my impression, too, that they'll provide some consulting services as well. But from that standpoint, you'd probably have to reach out to active shares directly to negotiate those individual contracts. So we've covered in detail this new actively managed ETF structure. I think but we're I think why this is important is that we're seeing the new direction of the ETF marketplace. I don't think this is the last active transparent exemption that will be approved by the SEC. This is obviously the first, but I think there will be others and this is really a new direction for the ETF marketplace in particular for traditional active managers that have managed mutual funds for many, many years, this may be the first step into the ETF marketplace. The open-end industry has been around for a very long time, and and especially the mutual fund industry, but this certainly doesn't seem to be something that would cannibalize the mutual fund industry. I think it's always going to be around. I think you're going to see um, additional interest, as we would expect. Certainly something that we'll all be paying attention to, and really interested to see where this does go in the next uh, several years. Yeah, especially on on the platforms where your traditional mutual funds have sat paying 12B1 fees and other fees to the platform. So we'll see where the cost structure of these goes and how that impacts the marketplace as a whole. With that, we're going to wrap up today's podcast. I want to thank Jeff Hanline for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Brad. It's a pleasure to be here. We want to thank our listeners as well for tuning in today, and we look forward to speaking with you on a future podcast. Thanks, and have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Chief Insights. Subscribe to this podcast series at cohencpa.com slash podcasts. To gain more insights that may impact you, visit us at cohencpa.com slash impact. Cohen and Company is not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Information contained in this podcast is considered accurate as of the date of recording. Any action based on information in this podcast should only be taken after a detailed review of the specific facts, circumstances, and current law.